Hi everyone and welcome to the News Agent Podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Senior Content Executive at Goodlord, and this is a recording of the fourth and final episode in our Renters Reform Bill webinar series on the topic of how the proposals aim to enhance tenant rights. Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme, joined Goodlord's Ollie Sherlock to cover everything from the right for tenants to keep pets to the new rules around rent increases. I should also highlight that between recording the webinar and editing this episode, Liz Truss has announced that she will resign as Prime Minister. However, that, of course, in no way diminishes the importance of understanding these Renters Reform Bill proposals as outlined by our expert speakers. The webinar itself is available on demand and is CPD accredited, so I'll add the link in the show notes. But for those that prefer to get your lettings updates on the go, let's crack on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the fourth instalment of the Renters Reform Bill series here at Goodlord. Uh, I'm Ollie Sherlock, Director of Insurance at Goodlord, and I'm going to be joined shortly by uh, the fantastic Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scream. Um, today's instalment is talking about understanding tenants' rights, um, something that um, is indeed evolving as part of the Renters Reform Bill. Uh, and we're going to t- discuss a number of points uh, which affect both you, tenants, and indeed landlords. Um, should the renters reform bill come in now of course it was only about a week ago that we uh were understanding that the bill was going to be scrapped um within 48 hours uh the uh current prime minister um came out and suggested that indeed um they were committing to the section 21 part of the bill um so we're going to be discussing um throughout the webinar um you know our, our thinkings around timelines um, likelihoods. Um, but given the assurity around the Section 21, um, we we felt it appropriate to continue the series around renters reform um, and uh, you know, continue to understand the effect um, on indeed the industry as a whole. Um, the Q&A is open as always from this minute. So if you have any questions uh, pertaining to any part of the reform bill, uh, not just uh, understanding tenants' rights, please do um, pop them in the chat and I will cover those as the best of our ability throughout the webinar. If we have a backlog, we'll also cover those at the end of the the process for anybody uh, who has attended the series before. It's it's business as usual uh, here, here, here at Good Lord. So um, before we get into uh, into the detail, um, a very quick uh, soundbite on who and what Good Lord actually is. Good Lord is a pre-tenancy platform that expedites your pre-tenancy process. Um, it allows you to operate um, far more streamlined, provide a better interaction with your customers, i.e. landlords and tenants, and indeed provide you revenue sources, which in a challenging market, I think it's fair to say, uh, are proving absolutely vital uh, for our customers. Um, if you're not a customer of Goodlord and want to understand more, please do visit our website, uh, goodlord.co. Uh, if you are a customer and want to understand how landlord terms of business, for example, a new addition to our platform, payments and letting accounts, a new addition to our platform, or indeed the um, the enhancements to our rent protection and insurance policy feature, and you've not had those conversations with us, please do reach out to us. Your customer success manager is on hand to support and guide you through those. As always, this is not a good old pitch. Uh, this is about uh, the industry and what's happening in the in- industry. Um, and we are normally joined by a officiado from the industry. And indeed, today we have the um, fantastic Mr. Sean Hooker. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good morning, Ollie. Let's get my camera on. There we go. Good morning. How are you, Ollie? I'm very good. Um, an interesting an interesting few weeks is to be fair sure and before we, before we get into the um the <laughs> the last sort of seven days i mean even the last 24 hours frankly if anybody's watching the news is interesting um i'm not sure it's it's great for anybody but it's interesting nonetheless um for those who don't know you sean can you just give us a bit of a a bit of a background on who sean hooker is 
Right, okay, my name is Sean Hooker. I am Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme. Uh, essentially, we deal with escalated complaints of customers for of um, estate agents, uh, letting agents and property managers. That's a mandatory scheme that uh, all agents have to be a member of. And uh, I just deal with complaints, to be honest. And, and it's fair to say, Sean, um, you, you have a good view across the board. You work quite closely uh, with a number of bodies within the industry and within government, right, to, to try and support um, transparency and inform decision making um, uh, when we're looking at sort of change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, information and education is key. And that's uh, a lot of what we do. Uh, it's not just a knuckle wrapping. It, it is trying to educate and help the sector to improve standards. And, and today we're talking about um, understanding tenants' rights. We're going to cover that off in three different um, uh, three different sort of phases, I suppose. Uh, we've got Sarah, um, as always, managing the slides. Thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, if we can go on to the next slide, that would be great. Um, so our agenda today is covering, like I say, three different parts. Um, we're going to cover the decent home standard. Um, the decent home standard is, I think, actually one of the biggest changes um, within the reform bill. Um, and arguably hasn't had anywhere near as much airtime as, say, Section 21, um, and, and for understandable reasons. Um, but the decent home standard is going to be affecting landlords, tenants and agents on every single let. Arguably, Section 21 doesn't do that. So I understand why Section 21 is contentious. Um, but I would also argue that the decent home standard um, is, is, is absolutely holistic across the board of the lettings process. And we really need to understand what it's going to do, how it's going to work, and the effect it's going to have on all three parties. Um, we're going to touch on um, uh, pets as well. Um, this is a uh, there was a clause in the white paper um, suggesting that landlords could not reasonably uh, decline a pet. We're going to cover that and understand what the implications of that are to to you as letting agents and indeed your landlords and also to tenants. Um, and we're going to also dis uh, discuss the changing rules around rent reviews um, and whether there's a change there or not. But also relative of that how we're going to manage that moving forwards and what does that actually lead to um we've got a few questions in the q a already uh, so i'm going to try and cover those off um so we've got dimitri if we missed the previous part of the series where can we view them um we can share those with you dimitri um so we can we can email those across um and and give you access to those previous three sessions um uh nobody that's left name you can hear me okay fantastic sean you sound a little faint so if, if maybe if we can just speak a little louder sean into the mic that would be great um uh two more on there so um yeah maybe having a little sound issue your side sean potentially so bear with us guys while we sort that out i want to make sure that okay. you can hear sean there can you hear go. me now can you hear me yes, now yep that okay. is crystal clear thank you very much um and celia good morning good morning to you happy uh, well, I don't even know what day it is. Happy Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Yes, yeah, Wednesday. Um, is it Wednesday? It's not even Wednesday. It's, it's Thursday. It's there Thursday. There you go. That's how We're over hump day. We're over hump day. <laughs> <laughs> um, before, before we get into the the the, uh, the, the agenda, um, let's, and it would be remiss to not touch on what's happened in the last week. Um, we um, were getting soundings from um, the political editor, especially at the Times, um, that the uh, government was scrapping um, the Section 21 element, definitely, which almost led to a um, uh, insinuation the whole bill would be scrapped. Um, Sean, you actually, we communicated uh, via LinkedIn, actually, in, in, in the public forum on, on different posts. And your, I think your, your reply to one of my posts was, 
you know, I think they're testing the waters here. Indeed, within 48 hours, it seemed they had tested waters. And all of a sudden, at uh, PMQs, um, uh, Liz Truss confirmed, oh, and committed, sorry, uh, that Section 21 would be scrapped. And it would be scrapped next year. That was um, uh, an interesting detail um, that, that gave us a little bit more surety in terms of what the timeline looks like. Um, a lot has happened since then. Um, uh, it's fair to say that Liz Truss is under a huge amount of pressure. Um, in the last 24 hours, I'm not sure that many have seen anything like it, frankly. Um, what effect does that have on the bill? And are we back to, are we back to where we were pre-Liz Truss uh, with a bit of uncertainty around the future of, of anything, frankly, we've discussed in the last four series? Well, the, the answer to that question, is, and this is just as much speculation as anybody else, but my, my gut reaction is, no, it doesn't change anything because the way government works, I mean, you've got the politicians, um, you know, the front people turning up on the, on the television and speaking in parliament, but the, uh, the hard graft is going on behind the scenes in the civil servants. And they haven't stopped working on this, uh, on this project. And I've had, uh, lots of meetings uh, there have been committees there's been all sorts of things that people uh, the various people in the industry have been feeding into and the you know of course it is a political decision and of course we live in strange times at the moment with u-turns and everything else uh, changes of uh, of ministers changes of uh, political direction uh, arsenal top of the league uh, all of these things are kind of nobody would have predicted at the beginning uh, you know even even uh, three or four months ago Ago. So the reality is that I believe that the core of this is being uh, worked on and is going to be delivered. A relative of a change of government? Uh, well, one of the things that was quite interesting, uh, uh, wasn't it, during the uh, the, uh, the Labour Party conference, uh, Lisa Nandy, who, who is the opposite of, uh, number for the for Greg Clark, um, uh, stood up and said, basically trotted out, the uh, 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 what was in the white paper added a few bells and whistles and said that's what Labour Party are going to do. So I think that the pressure is politically on, um, and and it's one of these uh, directions that something has to be seen to have been done after all these years. Now, I, what I have to add to that that doesn't help all the, all of the listeners out there who are trying to run their businesses. Everybody knows if you're trying to run. Uh, a successful business, you need planning, you need certainty, and you need to be able to understand what is coming down the pipeline. That is where I have the biggest criticism at the moment, is that we need we need firm direction so that people can make the plans ongoing. And as we will see as we go through this webinar, especially what we're going to be speaking about today and the decent home standard is something that landlords and letting agents need to know now so they can plan for three Two, three, four, five years ahead. Indeed, and and I I was um, kindly invited onto an ALA webinar uh, last Thursday, so it was just as we found out. It was just after PMQ or during PMQs, actually. Um, and um, I, I've got to be honest, it's pretty irate because when you really add it up and you think about where we are as an industry, the lack of transparency and consistency and and foresight is is making people's lives just so, so much harder when their lives are already difficult. And you look at the backdrop of the market with it we're in at the moment, especially when you look at landlord numbers and activity and rent rises and other controls in other areas of the UK, for example, Scotland being a good example of that, um, it, it feels pretty fraught. And um, 
my hope was that following the PMQs last week, we we almost could put a line under it and we'd start to see a bit more transparency. Now, of course, whilst a week is a long time in politics, goodness me, isn't it just for the current, for the current incumbents? Um, you know, they're probably it probably does mean we need a little bit more patience. But um, I, I'm not expecting us to wait too long, Sean, for the next update. Would that be fair? I very much hope that the next update will be very, very soon, especially if they're going to try and deliver by the end of Parliament, which we basically looking at Easter is the end of Parliament. Um, mm. They need to actually pull their finger out and get that that, that done. And as you know, we were promised uh, uh, under the previous ministers that oh, the whole point of this white paper is to iron out all the wrinkles and to have a, an oven-ready product that can that can easily go through the uh, 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 the parliamentary process and, and get into the statute books. So that's their promise. Uh, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll be sitting down there kind of uh, with a completely different narrative, but that's what I'm working on at the moment. Yeah, and 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 to just sort of finish that point off, the the call of evidence obviously uh, finished uh, uh, some weeks ago now. Um, so you know, I think we we collectively hope that one uh, all our listeners uh, today submitted a call for evidence. There, it is your opportunity to to have a say, and I would um, be a big advocate of watching out for any legislation point that comes to to review that you take part in call of call for evidence like that. Um, you know, you, we've got to trust that it, it matters, and I really do hope that Sean, in the background, the any any further delays because they're going through that and they're actually analysing it and going back to market and really scrutinising the points that they've made. Because, you know, on that basis, we should end up with a, you know, a better rounded bill than maybe the white paper suggested if the call for evidence is listened to. But time will tell on that point. And we can only work off what we know at the moment, as always with these things. So um, and our, our job today is to try and guide you through um, what that looks like from a tenant's perspective. And we're going to kick off with the decent home standard. So, um, Paul, can you take us through what the decent home standard actually is? Right. Okay. So the decent home standard uh, is something that's been kicking around in the social housing sector for um, a number of years. <clears throat> now, let me just clarify on this that, you know, this is this is new, but it's not new because basically we already have quite a lot of standards in the private rented sector. To the extent that uh, we've had, um, uh, you know, we've got the health and safety regulations, the 29 hazards that you have to make sure that your property uh, does not have uh, in terms of uh, um, legislation. We have got homes for human, uh, fit for human habitation that came in in 2018. We've a number of, you know, of course, we've got gas safety, we've got electrical safety, uh, you know. There's lots and lots of rules and regulations for a landlord to abide by in terms of keeping their property in a reasonable standard. What the decent home standard, though, is it was applied to the social housing sector. And that was on the back of the fact that the the the, um, uh, the social housing sector had anything up to 40 percent of its properties not deemed to be fit for people to live in. And this was seen absolutely as a, a political crisis and so therefore they brought this in and they believe now that that has fallen down to under um under 15 percent about 13 percent is what they reckon that, that uh, in the social housing sector is the um uh, you know is properties that would not meet that standard uh, if you kind of take the uh, ons figures and uh you know for the, uh, the private rental sector we're actually not too bad on one hand you know um they're reckoning there was a you know 21 percent. that's one in five properties 
would not meet a uh, minimum standard. So that means that uh, four out of five do, which is, um, which is you know, the positive side. But the negative side is if one in five people are living in properties in the private rental sector, they shouldn't. This is why this is important. So effectively, what is the, uh, the uh, uh, what are they looking to do? It's four very simple um, um, strands. One is that the uh, building should meet the minimum statutory uh, standards. So we're talking about the 29 hazards of the health and safety, but also building standards and other things there that, you know, the building is, is fit for purpose on that um, uh, uh, situation. That it's in a reasonable state of, uh, of repair. So it's it's been well maintained and everything's uh, you know repaired and looked after. Um, it uh, has a reasonable uh, um, you, you know facilities and services. And one of the things that the consultation people who have done the consultation will have seen is there was a debate about whether it's condition or age or how you should measure uh, measure what would be uh, um, re- reasonable facilities. So we're talking about, you know, a modernist kitchen and bathroom and that the, you know, that the facilities are, um, are, are adequate. So I was just thinking about this morning, one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, I come across is, you know, you rent out a room and it's only got one socket in the entire in the entire room. Uh, of course, uh, you know, in this day and age, uh, everyone's got all these gadgets and everything else they need to plug in. Um, and if you've got a room which has only got one, uh, you know, work working socket, uh, then what happens is they bring in those extension leaves, that's health and safety issues. So that's what they're also talking about uh, of being reasonable facilities and services up to date and, 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 and modern to that sense. And then finally, uh, and this is, we will probably have quite a big debate on this because it ties into, uh, 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 in my mind, it ties into other um, uh, moves uh, in terms of environmental and, and, and energy efficiency and the cost of living is a reasonable degree of thermal comfort. And they are the measures that the, the government believe the decent home standards uh, that's, and that should be applied to the private rented sector. And I think it's fair to say that, uh, oh, I would hope anyway, that nobody um, joining the call industry is against having decent homes for tenants that's that should be a prerequisite right we we want tenants to have the best homes possible um but the reality is let's work on the numbers that you gave earlier one in five properties do not meet that so um 20 percent aren't aren't hitting the grade um if you put that into an agency number let, let's and it's, it's an average of average but let's say 20 percent of your properties that you manage now do not meet that standard the implications here for landlords could be quite fast in terms of cost um, at a time where their their costs are already stretched, um, is the government recognising that in any shape or form? Um, the introduction of this, how is that going to play, and is it is it a straight cut off? And I know in the call of evidence, it was there was very much suggestions what they were asking for. How would you want this to be, uh, be implemented? Would you want to see this over an eighteen months rolling period? Would you want to see it in phases, elements of the of the standard be introduced in different phases? Um, you know. Let, what what are what do you think the implications for landlords especially will be given the cost elements and what do you think the rollout will look like? Well, like I, I, you know, I think there's a certain amount of uh, uh, you know realism that has to come into this, and and and, and a bit of psychology to be honest. And you know, if you set standards that are unachievable for um, large numbers of people, then that's just not going to happen. 
you've got to make this realistic and, and achievable for the people to try and implement it. it. You know, we talk about carrot and stick, and we'll talk a little bit more about the stick later. But in terms of the carrot, you know, if we are going to see standards rise, and I think that all of the uh, uh, exposure I've had in this process is everybody sits down and we're all of one accord when we start that what we want to see is standards going up we don't want that one in five we don't Mm. want those properties to be uh, we don't want to turn the television on as we have in the last uh, uh, you know a few weeks and just see people living in, in in absolute squalor we don't want to see that the reality is that four out of five landlords you know on the figures given are doing what they're meant to doing and the, uh, the the quality of properties in the private rental sector, by all surveys, is of a of a very good standard, mostly. So, for most landlords, this should not be arduous. However, we know that there will be expenditures, and we know there will be commitments that need to be made. And therefore, what I would be urging the government to do is to actually make that achievable and realistic. And that is not just by kind of like waving the big stick. It is actually say, well, what kind of help can we actually do? You know, millions of pounds have been pumped into, well, billions of pounds have been pumped in to helping people, uh, you know, get through this this crisis. But what is actually going to happen in terms of grants and in terms of uh, help and assistance to landlords? So. One of the things I know the NRLA and uh, and and ARLA and P- Property Market doing is saying to the government, have a look and what incentives can you give to uh, to landlords mm. through the tax system, say, to help them to bring those properties up to standard, and and that is one of the things that you know it's the you know in the investment and the clever investment of government capital and and and, and ideas to make the, the the standards up rather than big fines or, uh, uh, you know, banning orders. And and throughout the white paper, a point I've made a number of times is that my opinion is that letting agents were just completely omitted from the thinking when, when you look at the reform bill. They're not acknowledged, actually, through the, through the bill. Um, I find that strange if you've got twelve to 13,000 professional people doing something that is essentially um, educating and supporting the the you know the ecosystem that is our is our industry um letting agents could find themselves in the middle of this in some respects right because they are going to be gatekeepers um to ensuring that the property meets the standard um do you see complications there and how far how far do you think the liability stretches into the letting agency space versus the landlord themselves and clearly you know like most compliant um, and legislation pieces, the agents are the are the are the gatekeeper, and, and this to me feels no different. Look, I deal with this every single day, and uh, because we have that, we have agent redress, um, and agents are accountable to a redress scheme, but landlords aren't. So therefore, we have the big uh, issue that when there are things like repair uh, obligations and and that is that you know the agent can only go so far, um, and yet they are the person that the uh, in, in in most cases that the tenant ever sees. They don't never mm. they never see their landlord; they see their agent. They're the person that you know when they something goes wrong are the end of the uh, uh, the uh, the telephone so therefore you know they are absolutely vital and you know one of the things and and we could have a whole session on this and we have had sessions on this the regulation of property agents you know i've i've always seen as key if you bring brought the agents up to uh, uh, to uh, uh, to a regulated standard 
they will lead the, the industry and uh, because they are, you know, they're front and foremost. So what we need to actually do is, 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 is explain to the government that it's not red tape and it's not uh, um, um, uh, uh, restricting the market, but it's going to have a really positive effect on all of their agenda and on the business uh, businesses of letting agents. And secondly, it's to actually clear that, that confusion up of who is actually responsible. And, you know, and the law of agency does say that if you are acting on behalf of the landlord, you are effectively the landlord. But there are things that the landlord specifically, and repairs are one of them, are the ones that are going to be liable under the law um, uh, um, uh, to, to actually uh, uh, deliver. So that... That relationship needs to be clarified, in my view, uh, um, even further than it has. And I think you make you make a good point to sort of tie tie Roper into this um, and talk about you know agency regulation or less agency regulation because you know I I personally support that. I think it's it's an opportunity actually. Um, I think you know the vast vast majority of agents take their jobs extremely seriously. Um, they are educated. They're up to date. They're eager to. To, to, to move with the times and and inform their landlords appropriately. And by putting a label on that and saying that you are then regulated and you've met that threshold, I think adds value. It, it really does add value if the government can take a, um, a proactive approach to further legislation and landlord registration, for example, acknowledging that if your property is managed by a letting agent, the landlord doesn't have to go and do those things. Now, all of a sudden, you've actually got a value add, very clear win um, uh, niche there um, as to why letting agents are are important to use above and beyond the things that we well recognise them to do. Um, and, you know, I have that thinking with the backdrop that the majority of landlords do not use letting agency services. And therefore, if I knew by going to a letting agency that all of my compliance pieces were ticked off, there was a level of liability because hey, agents are regulated. And indeed, I didn't have to do anything further myself. Well, that's worth a fee in itself, let alone all the great stuff that agents provide. So um, I, I would urge letting agents to think down the road. I know we've had some, we had quite a, a feisty roper uh, webinar, I remember rightly, where you know, there were quite quite a few voices quite reluctant to it. I, I think if we get to that stage, I, I actually see it as a positive thing. But um, uh, feel free to hold me to that uh, as and when that, that, that becomes uh, introduced. So we're kind of touching on there the enforcement in terms of agents having a role to play. And we, we, you're saying, Sean, there should be some real clarity there on where the liability is and what we're expecting from letting agents. Um, but on a very basic level, the landlord is responsible. Uh, so let's for one moment put, put letting agents to one side. The landlord is responsible for meeting the decent home standards. What happens if they don't? How are we going to enforce this? How, who is responsible for tracking this and, and enforcing it? Who's responsible for educating the landlords? Where does this sit? Because it's absolutely pointless to have a standard that nobody uh, needs to meet because there's no enforcement or or, or tracking on it. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, Ollie. Um, and and I think one of the things that uh, um, uh, you know I was quite interested to see on the consultation, and when I talked to the government about it, they gave me a very clever answer. Um, a lot of what the uh, the way the consultation was structured was fairly binary, yes or no answers. Uh, and you know how I work. I mean, you know, yes and no is not always the uh, the, the, the correct answer. They, they said to me that they were putting in that amount of uh, in the consultation so that they didn't have the huge amounts of uh, uh, of analysis to do on the consultation that they had, say, for the Section 21, where they had the record numbers of, of replies on it. So they wanted to try and be, get it down to distilled to, 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 to a bit more uh, um, um, yes or no. So one of the things that they were asking about is should this all be criminal? You know, should it be civil or should it be criminal? And, uh, you know, 
it's not quite as simple as that. But I think on the whole, if you don't have the ultimate criminal sanctions, this legislation will not have the teeth that it needs to have. Now, even though those criminal sanctions can be quite extreme in terms of uh, they're talking, should this be a banning order? So you literally will have be banned from being able to rent out property. Should it be, uh, uh, should you have rent repayment orders connected to it? And we've seen some pretty huge rent uh, repayment orders coming through mm-hmm. the courts recently, you know, quite significant amounts of money. And ultimately, should should a landlord be uh, uh, culpable even to go to jail? And some of the more extreme cases of conditions that people have been forced to live in, I would say that there was a, be a tiny number of people, but I think the ultimate sanction of prison it should actually be there as well. Now, saying that, you don't want to build a regime of fear that an ordinary landlord for an, or for, for a, um, a, an omission or a mistake fears that they're going to actually have their lives ruined, a criminal record put on their heads, their properties taken away from them, their livelihoods taken from underneath, uh, from underneath them. It has to be proportional. Now, one of the things I'm quite pleased about, and again, you know, this has made me being maybe over-optimistic uh, and trusting in technology, um, uh, but the, the the issue of the portal that they are talking about is going to be key to this mm-hmm. because the portal is going to be a way of them recording the condition of a property, um, which is accessible to both landlord and to the authorities and to the tenant, and will show that the uh, what the level of compliance will be. Now, some of that will be able to be done by feeding in data from external um, um, uh, bodies, so gas safety, for example, or electrical safety. Others will have to be a self-assessment by the landlord. But it's going to open that transparency and it's going to open that accountability. That will make uh, um, um, the direction that a landlord needs to comply clearer. It will uh, be transparent to the tenant and it will allow enforcement to be far more efficient. Am I being over trusting on, 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 on whether this portal can be delivered and the technology is there? I'm not a tech person, but I am an optimist. Um uh, we are a tech business. We understand what it takes to to put uh, a piece of software and platform in front of people and, and maintain it. Uh, and it's a lot. Um, and, you know, we've spoken before in this series about my my lack of optimism in terms of how quickly that can be scaled up. And I don't think the two are mutually exclusive to a point of not one can happen without the other. But I, I, I think you're making a brilliant point around the... the um, the benefit the two bring together and that transparency and ability to track and the ability to be open around what that property actually is and what standard it meets. Um, Sean on the, uh, the Q and a good morning, Sean, I hope you well um, asks or says uh, more of a statement when it comes to people's lives, i.e. no smoke alarms or what we currently understand as category one hazards, then a criminal penalty has to be an option. And uh, I think it's fair to say both Sean and I would probably agree with that, um, which leads you to then ask the question as you go through the, the standard, is there anything that's been suggested that you think is relatively contentious and feels like a um, feels like it could turn into the major talking point of the standard? You know, you've got to have a uh, you've got to have nine plugs in a room, or you've got to have um, the latest washing machine, or whatever it may be. Do you think that there the, the runs a risk of anything being a little contentious and then overbearing that then essentially risks what should be a quite thought through and 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 meaningful part of the reform? Well, look, anything that, you know, when 
And look, I deal with dispute resolution and I deal with uh, contention all, every day. And, uh, you know, and one of the, the words that, uh, you know, I frequently come up is reasonable. And what is reasonable? You know, it's, you know, reasonable is about weighing up the evidence of something and saying, well, in, in the context of everything, does that seem to be fair? Um, so we will get situations where it will not be black and white. It will be a, a matter of uh, uh, of contention. and But that's where guidance and that's where education is going to have to come in. And you're absolutely right. You know, what is, you know, what is uh, uh, um, uh, reasonable for one person may not be reasonable for another person. Mm. If you are working from home, for example, you need to have the technology and the uh, in place, then that's going to be different than if you retire. And, and you've just got your, you know, your television and your watcher uh, or your radio that you're plugged in and, and you don't have out all the technology. So it is about uh, a certain amount of subjectivity. And that's why I think uh, one of the things that I, I'm very much put in our consultation is that if it all relies on, uh, you know, on, on enforcement agencies, if it all relies on a black and white or a court based type uh, uh, situation, uh, you're going to get a lot of unhappy people because it's going to be contentious and that's where something like redress something like uh uh, uh you know uh, alternative dispute resolution can actually help before we start getting down to the uh, the contention of have you broken the law what's your penalty what's the fine we're going to give you yeah and the and having you know having a um a transparency a transparent easy to access ombudsman as part of that flow clearly as part of the reform they've noted bringing it into one i know you're you're, you're sort of front and center of that given your current position yeah. with prs um but um uh it would it would be easy to um say well sean's only interested in this because he's part of the prs i think i think the point here is that you know without that it, it just descends into essentially a lengthy legal process of which the courts cannot cope at the moment anyway. And prevention is always better than cure. And if we can get to a place where you can mediate and, and resolve issues earlier in the cycle, no matter what part of the legislation you look at, actually, I think that is that is, is 100% a fair point. We've got a, got a few questions coming around this, um, Sean. Um, uh, Rebecca, um, good morning, Rebecca. She asks, uh, we have a studio flat as a part of a house and let this as a room in our house. It has a separate entrance. Would that be covered by the standards? I, I think the question is, would that have to meet the standards? Would that be classified um, under what we're talking about here? Uh, yes, it would do. Um, and, and, and interestingly, uh, again, that's another area that the government's going to have to look at, is if you have a, um, a, a flat in a block of, a block of flats, um, how responsible are you for the condition of the property uh, that is the uh, communal or the external areas and you know and that you know that ties into things the big debate we've got on the and the fire safety and everything else mm. how do you tie all of that up when you are uh, you know you are you are only responsible for the demise of what you are responsible for but the, the tenants are exposed to uh, to another environment so yes i mean they're looking to make this as wide as possible and that the it's the overall health safety and quality of the, of the way that a tenant lives uh, that will also be taken into consideration whether that falls onto the specific landlord uh, or, or onto a freeholder or to a, um, uh, to 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 something else is, is another debate 
And and Chris, um, good morning, Chris, makes a really good point in terms of the access to this kind of data information, suggesting that gas safety um, alongside other bodies would have to open up their, their data and allow that to be um, accessible. Um, and I think that's one of the when we think about the portal, that's one of the challenges in terms of who owns that portal, who regulates the flow of data, um, how do you get businesses and third parties to integrate with that, what's the cost coverage of that, and and what's, how do you maintain it, frankly? Because it's one thing delivering something on day one that looks nice and shiny, but the maintenance of something that is, frankly, getting thousands and thousands and thousands of data points uh, being pushed through it on a what would be a daily basis is not simple by any stretch. Um, and you know, I think the the ownership and accountability piece of, of that of that development is is as important as any other part because put it in the wrong place and it will uh, it, it will it will struggle to get off the ground uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, but you're right, Chris, to point out that this isn't just a one stop shop. It needs it needs cross cross industry support, of which yeah. I think it's fair to say of, of, of the suppliers and bodies that that I interact with, Sean, and, and maybe you do. I don't think that's lacking, actually. I think the industry does want to support um, better transparency. Um, and it comes back to businesses really getting them their ducks in a row ahead of time. Um, so, you know, one of the things is recognising unique property reference numbers, for example. Um, you know, that will be the basis, I think, of a lot of the data um, uh, points moving forward in our industry. Uh, for you as letting agents, for landlords, for tenants, and for us as, as suppliers, um, and and for, for, for you as well, Sean. So it's things like that we can get ahead of. But yeah. um, it will be interesting to see, you know, how quickly we can move on that. Um, uh, final question on this point before we move on. Um, uh, a question from somebody who hasn't left their name. Um irrespective good morning um they say much as the portal is a good thing um but are you going to end up getting a, a, a agents losing business they have to pay to train staff to know legislation etc and this knowledge is what my managed landlords are paying for agents could suffer um i'm not sure we're suggesting the portal is an educate you know it, it, it is a management tool i think it's more of an education piece in terms of clarifying this is what the standard is this is what's in place i think the context behind that actually is where agents should flourish um and i think you know most landlords my perception um is is most landlords will not be watching the news in the way that we are and you are uh, as listeners. They will not be tracking the change in legislation. They won't be aware even maybe what their existing um, uh, liabilities uh, and legislative demands are, let alone what the changes will be. So I think actually having a portal that says you haven't met this grade only backs up the point that I can help you meet this grade and I can help you and and, and support you to get to that level and educate you. Um, so I think I, I, I understand the, the perspective there, but I think, Sean, Anything like this actually is, is almost an opportunity if managed in the right way for letting agents. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm constantly um, aware of is when I'm looking through, um, you know, the complaints I look at. And I, I do look and I think, well, do either the, the landlord or the letting agent know what good looks like? You know, if you don't know what good looks like, how can you ever achieve it? And I think that's where a portal, you know, uh, can actually, um, or any information that kind of like sets that, that, that minimum standards, you can then have that as a gauge. But you're right, someone, you know, having a t- the, the, be- the best tool in the world, you know, if the person who's using it doesn't have the competency or the knowledge to use it, then, you know, it's just, a, it's redundant, isn't it? So it's up to the agent to, you know, to, to, say, to say that they are the ones that can actually help and facilitate um the, the landlord to meet their criteria 
Yeah, and I think um, it'd be remiss to not cover the idea that, you know, as an agent, you go and see a landlord evaluation, you walk in, you notice four or five faults straight away, you turn around and say, I'm sorry, but this doesn't meet the standard that you need to be at. That is going to be a relatively emotive conversation, I imagine. Um, I, I've been there as a letting agent and, you know, every landlord believes that their property is is the best property and holds the value that they think it holds. Um, and I think having a portal and a backdrop and framework that supports your point as an agent yep. say, you're nearly there, but you need to do this, this and this. We need to ensure it's clear. This isn't the agent asking you to do this and this for a market rent value perspective. This is legislation. There is a framework around this. Look at this portal. This is what this is. This is the guidance that I can give you. I can support you to get there, but please be aware this is this is leg- legislative. This isn't a you know a desire. It's an absolute need. Um, so I think there's there's some validation in that for agents and on the ground. I imagine this does create a few more spiky conversations with landlords on that first valuation where you realise this property isn't, isn't up to scratch. And I'm sure there's a lot of edu- education points we could support agents with ahead of that valuation to send out to landlords and make sure they're aware. Um, let, let's move on. We'll come back to education as a running theme through the whole webinar today, because I think, um, again, the the idea that we all recognise this stuff and we know this stuff um, doesn't cut the mustard in the sense that we need to ensure landlords recognise this and are educated. And um, I'm going to be asking Sean's thoughts about that throughout uh, the next two slides. If we move on to the next slide, please, Sarah. Um, so, um, oh, one back, I think. There we go. Um, so another element of the um, uh, of the reform or the white paper was um, around pets. Um, and uh, there's no intended irony to move from decent decent home standards then into pets, because of course one of the um, one of the uh, thought processes could be, well, hang on, uh, we want homes to be habitable, clean, nice, and then you're telling me I have to put a pet in there. Um, but the, the thinking here is that there should be a um, uh, there should be little challenge to a tenant if they have a pet, and therefore their access to the property isn't cut off. Um, what are we actually saying here, and what does the white paper tell us? Um, that landlords and letting agents should be um, expecting moving forwards if the reform comes in? What the white paper tells us, very little. It tells us what is in place at the moment, which is basically uh, the amended clauses to the uh, to the, uh, uh, the model tenancy, which nobody uses, and also that, uh, um, uh, you know, that uh, uh, people like pets and, and they, you know, a lot of landlords don't, uh, put blanket bans on, on on them, and really, that what the you know the government is trying to say is that we should not be discriminating against people just because they have pets. So that's sort of why when we were putting through, well, you know, uh, um, uh, what what topics we're going to be talking about, you know, the question I get asked is, will this mean landlords are going to be forced to accept uh, tenants with pets? And the answer to that is categorically no. What they're not going to be able to do is put a blanket ban and say no pets. What they, they they will have to say, what is reasonable in terms of them saying, no, we don't want particular pets or a pet in this particular property. You have to come up with a bit of a, a reason or a reason why it is unreasonable for a tenant to keep a pet in the property. 
And, you know, I've been sitting on a group then. We've been going through all the scenarios of which, what would be legitimate reasons for not accepting a pet. And these are not just kind of like, let's find a list of excuses that we can just put down. These, these, you know, I think there's going to be a, a, a genuine conversation about why a particular property or a particular circumstance is not suitable for a pet. So, for example, I dealt with a, a complaint case where it was a, a student in a, a, an HMO. Uh, and they, and they, she wanted to keep a pet in there. And the landlord said, no, you've got other people to consider. You can't have a, a pet running around the communal area. Some people might be allergic to the pet. Some people might be f- fearful of the, uh, of, of a pet. Um, but that sort of conversation should be had rather than say no pets allowed. Is this not the same difference? I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. So don't read too much into my, my question, but is this just not the same difference? Yeah, I, I, if I don't want a pet in my property, I'm going to find a reasonable reason. I'm allergic to dogs. Uh, I have a fear for dogs. I um, I don't think it's acceptable a llama lives in my kitchen. Um, you know, above and beyond goldfish, which, which are really not contentious at all, I think. You know, can, can a landlord not find a reasonable reason to not want the pet in there? And and frankly, you know, if we're saying that there's going to be governance over the, over this reform, are we suggesting that that then leads into more and more work of a challenge around, well, this te- this landlord said no. So, I mean, I, I don't recognise a tenant's going to do that in this market because the market is so sparse of property. Do we just not end up in the same place we are now, just with a bit more red tape? Red right. tape? You're right, but that's where you, you, you turn it on uh, on its head. Say, well, what's the reasons why landlords don't want pets in in, in their property? And the reason is that they fear that there's going to be um, damage. There's going to be uh, excessive uh, um, uh, smells and 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 cleaning to which uh, to, uh, that's uh, going to happen, and that the property would be generally degraded by the fact of a pet in the property. And that re- reality is that that the statistics don't actually bear that out. But fear isn't much a reality. I always, you know, false expectations appear in real. That's what fear stands for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, if you take and say, well, actually, let's allay these fears and put in a layer of protections that will protect the landlord and the tenant from the the possible degradations that a pet could could potentially cause, then you are starting to look at a reasonable risk assessment that a landlord can make mm. in terms of the, the, the pros and the cons against it. Now, the reality is there's also statistics out there that show people with pets are more reliable tenants because, uh, um, uh, you know, responsible pet owners have, you know, uh, um, uh, want to have a secure place for themselves and their, and their pet, that they are, they stay longer because getting a place that the pet and they feel comfortable in is, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's very important to them and that they, uh, you know, that, 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 that they are happier and more conducive tenants. So, you you, you know, it's, it is a carrot and stick of approach. And this is why it's so important that the, the government understands that they need to assist the industry to allow the protections that will protect the interests of the landlord. Um, um, because it's their property and their livelihood, as well as the rights of the tenants. And and 
you know, I, I hasten to add that was a devil's advocate question. I do not not support pets being in a property, <laughs> but I think knowing knowing the processes as they are, you know, there's going to be there are going to be people who just think, well, I, I can just challenge this anyway, and nothing really changes. Um, but you make a good point around the protection piece, and indeed, the the suggestion from the government has been that um, insurance would be uh, we would be able to mandate insurance um, as part of this accepting uh, process, however, having a pet in your property. Um, now, given my remit, a good lord as, as director of insurance, this kind of sits firmly in my uh, in my ballpark. And you know, we we've been looking at this and trying to understand the knock on effect. And I think the the early suggestions were, well, you can mandate the tenant takes insurance. I, I, I want to sort of uh, hasten some some um, caution to, to that uh, that approach. Um, this legislation does not trump any kind of uh, other legislative or legal uh, protections that tenants are afforded, i.e. calling off periods and insurance policies. So the idea that tenants are going to uh, take policies out, and that's part of the lettings process, I think is is thwarted with risk for a landlord, because ultimately they could take the policy out, they could cancel the policy, they're in the property, there's going to be little I think you can do. Or indeed, would you ever be aware that insurance was cancelled? Uh, I'm not even sure you'd have a right to know that uh, on that basis. So I do think if we if we if this is enforced, you're looking at a added cost to the landlord that then has an added cost to the rent. And my question, I suppose, on the back of that, Sean, is we uh, what three years ago, June 2019, uh, the tenant fee ban was passed as as law, um, as all of our listeners know uh, too well. Uh, that that ring fences any payment to a month's rent in advance uh, and up to a five week deposit. Um, is this just not going to contravene then with a an applicable fee? How 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 are we going to get this from where it is into legislation without it being seen as a additional fee uh, to the tenant? Well, I mean, the main the main thrust of the uh, you know of the suggestions that have been put forward to the government, and and I have to take my hat off to uh, you know to. Um, uh, the group that I've been sitting on and the people that are contributing on that because they have, they are dealing with and looking at all these, the nuances of, mm. of, of the different uh, um, uh, scenarios that you've got there. And the reality is it would have to be an amendment to the Tenants Fees Act to allow a reasonable charge for a, protect, a, a pet protection policy to be uh, to be uh, uh, an acceptable uh, charge or to make the tenant pay and you could do that you know either you could get the tenant to, to sort out their own insurance but you've got the risk that they will lapse the policy or they won't pay it or they will cancel it as you say or you can allow the landlord to uh, to buy a policy uh, on behalf of uh, of the of the tenant we see that in uh, in a number of uh, 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 scenarios you know in the rent uh, in the in the, in the uh, rent guarantee um, scenario that the yeah. agent will buy the policy on behalf of the uh, interested party who's the landlord so we have all sorts of scenarios in doing that but you know, essentially, I think the fear that the tenant will kind of look to bypass this this um, uh, legislation, if you say, well, actually, part of the criteria of having a pet is to have insurance, most of them will actually, 99% of them, I think, will say, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to take that out because I, I, the reality is I'm not going to uh, uh, you know I, I won't have the pet if I don't want to do it. And if you look at the uh, you know the uh, the anecdotal uh, evidence out there, 
you know, there are already tenants offering to pay higher rents to go into properties yeah. uh, if they allow pets. Okay. And then look at the other scenario. If you uh, don't have this avenue into the, uh, in, in, in the, uh, in the, um, in, in, in the arena, what you're going to end up is people just getting pets anyway without telling anybody. Surely the simple, the simplest answer here is to extend the limitation on deposit. And extend that through to let's say I would say seven weeks or whatever the amount we you know as a body we agree is a appropriate amount to cover you know common um, common sort of uh, fallout from having a pet in a property. Why why not take that simplistic approach? Has that been has that been discussed at all? Well, I think the reality is, and it's like anything in politics, uh, you know, at the time uh, of the Tenants Fees Act and, 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 you know, amongst all the, you know, the uh, 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 the discussions that we're having, uh, uh, you know, when they came out with this deposit cap, um, totally understand why politically they wanted to do that because, you know, there was this, you know, because it's finding money up front and deposits levels were rising they wanted to curtail the initial costs uh, uh, to uh, to a tenant for taking a tenancy i i think you know that's off the table uh, you know changing the uh, the cap li- limit okay uh, for what for good or for real that's going to stay so these are solutions around it that allow for the provision of uh, 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 protection for landlords over and above what the deposit can provide, uh, you know. And, and, and look, look, there are now a whole uh, plethora of no deposit options out there, uh, and and a lot of uh, you know clever minds, cleverer than, than myself, people like yourself, Ollie, who are looking at these solutions to tell you, or your team sure. looking at these solutions to do this. Like so, that. so the reality is, I think we're going to have to live with the, the fact that the Tennessee Fees Act's not going anywhere, and and the and the deposit ban is going to uh, uh, cap is going to stay, and these are solutions to allow uh, uh, you know a, a practical way forward on that. Uh, and the reality is, it's the same as rent protection. Uh, you know, uh, you take a deposit; it's really there, you know, and this, uh, uh, to protect the uh, the, uh, the the property. But the landlords want the security of knowing that they've got a month, mm. um, um, up to a month's rent in case the tenant you know, uh, defaults on it. So, you know, if you do it in combination with a rent, uh, rent protection, it all becomes part of a, a, a protection regime that a landlord should be surrounding themselves to protect the, uh, you know, the things they care, care about, which is their property and their, and their income. We've had lots of questions on this, and I want to get through some whilst we can before we move on to, to rent reviews. I'm conscious of time. So um, I've got a question in from Matthew. Um, good morning, Matthew. So uh, he asks, so are block management companies still going to be allowed to blanket ban pets in blocks of flats? And uh, I guess the answer to that, Sean, is if it's reasonable, yes. Um, but it would be per property, I imagine. Uh, correct, yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are, you know, there are um, uh, restrictions on, on, on leases. And, uh, you know, that, that is something which, um, again, you, you know, the, uh, the government may need to reach out to, to lease, uh, to, uh, freeholders and say, is it reasonable in this day and age to preclude, uh, have these blanket bans on pets? And Eve, uh, good morning, Eve. Eve makes that point actually to, to that point, and is what happens with um, with uh, where the freeholders, uh, the freeholder forbids pets within a lease, and I think that that is is yet to be confirmed. But I think it's a it's a good point um, as you as both you just made there. Uh, thank you for that question, Eve. Um, we've got another few in. Um, uh, Anthony, apologies, I, I probably can't read out all of this post, but um, essentially saying you know. 
we, we know that the legislation is going to be ruthlessly enforced. I, I, I'm not sure whether there's some sarcasm to that or not, Anthony. Um, um, but what Anthony essentially goes on to say is that you know this kind of uh, reform uh, regrettably means that tenants are going to be um, losing their homes because um, for his, him indeed uh, he will be taking his properties off the market, and um, it means that actually as a result, you know the very thing we're trying to um, trying to solve and, and, and improve uh, actually gets completely removed because landlords have run out of patience. Maybe it's fair to say. Um, which we're hearing a lot, aren't we, Sean? I mean, that, there is a lot of noise around landlord exiting. Um, I think it's debatable when we talk about landlords exiting and properties exiting. Those, I would really highlight, are two very different things. I, um, I, I am, yes. I mean, I'm very worried about this. I mean, not not you know, not be, not because you know, I, I'm agreeing uh, per se with the uh, with the sentiments. Uh, I, I understand the sentiments, mm. you know. Uh, and and what what I'm fearing, and I'll tell you this now, what I'm fearing is not. The, the 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 people pulling out of the market are the ones that don't want to comply and don't want to provide decent properties and don't want to raise the standards. It's going to be the landlords whose whose properties are reasonable and are good, and they they're, they're getting the jitters. They're getting they get fed up. They're getting disillusioned with the with with, with the uh, uh, you know with the situation. A lot of this, you know, uh, you know. Are, are not founded. The properties still, rental properties still are um, a very, very good investment strategy. A very, very good and uh, return on 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 the pro- property, and that uh, you know it, it, it's a good business to be in. But there will be a rationalisation. Uh, you know, uh, all the landlords I talk to are saying they, you know, in the past they've they've had maybe ten, you know, uh, f- uh, five or ten properties. You know, these are the reasonable size investment yeah, ones, yeah. not the one, one mum and pop ones. And they, uh, you know, and they've let them they've let them ride because you know overall it's it's fine. Now they're looking and saying actually three of these properties I don't need because they're not making any money. They're going to cost me ten thousand pounds over the next next year. I'm never going to get the yield back on that. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm just going to offload those. So that's going to be three less properties. So their 10 you know well, well gonna, three less know, properties out of their 10 the question then is where do those three properties go to do they go to other landlords who are consolidating or do they then essentially sit in the market and then uh also exit the market completely so i think that's the that's the point for me is we i i, I a bit like you i understand the sentiment i would be wary of scaremongering to the point of saying landlords are leaving the market uh, a recent hampton study suggested that i think 51 percent of properties uh, were retained within the landlord market. Forty-nine percent went out to other buyers. Well, um, that still means that net we are losing properties. If that, is mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe not as bad as, as as maybe others would suggest. Um, I am conscious of time for for, for for the hundreds of agents on here, so I'm going to move on. Um, uh, I appreciate there's a few questions around uh, from both Shell and Lauren. I think maybe one or two others around putting a special clause in the tenancy agreement that covers the necessity, necessity, Sean, to have a professional clean, given that we've had a couple of questions on that. I uh, thought it was fair to cover it. And they're suggesting yeah. that actually you can answer this by mandating a professional clean at the end of the tenancy. You can. But however, you've got to demonstrate that you've done one in the first place. So that's the point. Putting, putting you know, so you, you found yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. So you can say uh, to clean to a professional standard, and you can put, you can specify what that that wants. You know, and and to be fair, uh, uh, most tenants, uh, you know, who keep pets, if you set out a criteria and say, well, actually, if you do this, this, and this, in the end, that's what I'd expect to do to do that. Uh, uh, and they will say well, that's reasonable. I can understand that. You know, I have got a pet. They, they you know, they do, they do smell and uh, make mess. So we'll put that back to the way 
you know, we don't think that's unreasonable. But what you can't do really, you know, is, you know, and I know some landlords fret about it, you know, is to kind of constantly be on their backs and say, oh, you know, every time there's a, you know, a, a little mess, they just have to return the property in the right uh, in the right condition in the right order. um let's talk about rent reviews um and we've noticed on the slide here changing rules around rent reviews i would argue this is enforcing existing rules around rent reviews um uh so sean talk us through what the new rules are uh, or talk us through what the rules are and the mechanism that we are uh, leaning back on um under section 13 Right. So, uh, again, I looked at this and I think, well, actually, yeah, what has actually changed? Because, you know, you, if you want to change your rent, you, you have a, a, a Section 13 notice uh, that you need to, to do. And that can be appealed by the tenant if it seems to be unreasonable. And I think really what the, uh, uh, the direction is, 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 is to just to, to tinker with that or to, to modify that and to clarify uh, um, uh, the rules on it. So at the moment, yeah, yes, I mean, you are restricted to one time. Uh, you can put the rent up once, uh, once a year. That, that's retained. The one that I kind of struggled mostly with was they were talking about saying, well, actually, it, when it goes to, because you can appeal it, uh, the tenant can appeal it up to the tribunal. As they can at the moment, right? At, they can at the moment. But yeah. in theory, the, the judge, uh, the, the tribunal judge can look at it and go, right. Is this rent reasonable? If so, nothing changes. Is it unreasonable? I will reduce it. Or actually, in theory, and and you know, and I've asked for some anybody with case studies on there. Do you know what this landlord's undercharging from the market rent? Okay, we'll put the rent up. Mm. <laughs> now, I've not heard of any specific cases. If anybody's got any there, please tell me. Uh, but the government would say, well, no, the judge would not be allowed to do that. So it would always be that the, the, a, a tenant appealing to a tribunal will not lose out. The worst case scenario is that the rent will be retained. Otherwise, it will be a reduction. And I think the psychology behind that is to encourage tenants not to, you know to feel uh, to appeal things if they you know and feel comfortable appealing that it's not going to be a detriment. It's a bit like those those parking uh, uh, fines you get. You go for the first appeal and then it says if you don't pay it in next number it doubles, but yeah. you can go to appeal. But if you go to the appeal and you lose it, you pay the double. So most people just pay for the half the half rate and and and, and give up on it. So I think it's that's the, the subtle change that they're trying to say. To be honest, and the detail here, I think. I'm right in saying, as is now under the Section 13 process, is, is essentially giving tenants two months' notice of the rent increase. Yeah, and I think for me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Sean, this is this is essentially uh, about redirecting the, the, the industry back to saying you must follow this process. You yeah. can no longer do this off books, and plenty are you know, and because there's no enforcement, there's no legislation that says you can't do this. It's managed in different ways. Essentially, just telling the tenant rent's increasing, maybe not following the processes uh, that exist at the moment. So this is about doubling down, isn't it? On, yeah, no, absolutely. On existing yes. process and, and enforcing that. Um, yeah, and. And does this then, I mean, I think the next two points are almost the same, uh, almost asking the same question one, because I'll start with the, the latter point first. What constitutes fair market rent? And, you know, I'm not asking you to, to answer that question, because if you you would be the uh, the font of all knowledge if you knew that. But there's so many different sources um, uh, for fair market rents. If you want to know what the trends are at the moment, go onto the Goodlaw website, look at NewsAgent. We trend all of this. But of course, that's a subset of data across the entire UK. And, and there's others uh, out there as well. So 
how are they going to gauge or how do you think they're going to gauge fair market rent? Well, that's it. That's exactly right. It, you know, it, 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 it's, it's an evidence-based um, uh, uh, process in the sense that, it, it, you know, what is the market charging? Can you demonstrate that your rents are in line with, the, with what the market is, is charging? It's very interesting that, you know, there's been a recent appeal uh, um, to landlords uh, from the, uh, the valuation office to feed into their database the local rents that they are charging because they, you know, they're effectively the body that, you know, that monitors and, and, and looks at, at, at rent levels. And, uh, if, you know, if, if the information, the data is there, then there is a far more reliable source of actually measuring what a fair market rent is. Now, where we and why, you know, we put in, is it rent control? No, it isn't at the moment. And, um, and, and we know that the, um, uh, uh, the current government sentiments are, are not to introduce rent controls. We know that the um, the uh, the government in waiting, if they want to call themselves that, uh, are in favour of rent controls of some description. But are we talking about you know uh, um, uh, as we have in you know in 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 in, in salaries, uh, you know the government setting a, a minimum a minimum reasonable rent or whatever or maximum reasonable rent or something like that as a guideline to uh, for, for, for landlords uh, per area look we're a long way off from any of this yeah and this and this uh, but but this kind of like allowing the, uh, the the tenant the avenue to challenge i think is the most important thing uh, that we, we did that this part of the legislation is trying to look at and, and katie asks um hi there katie if uh, there is a clause in the tenancy agreement to allow annual rent reviews can a letter confirming uh, giving at least one month's notice be sufficient after negotiating with the tenant i uh, under under if under the reform, I'm guessing that would be a no because no. this legislation supersedes anything that would be in the agreement. It's essentially law. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so so we have that mechanism, and to, if, if that's tightened up, then then you follow that mechanism. And yeah, but the, but the reality is, and it would say if you know if 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 there are clause, you know you put clauses in uh, rent restriction clauses in uh, or, or, or limiting in there, then. The reality is there's a, there is there is a permission in that tenancy agreement for you to put the rents up, and you know I've spoken to uh, to a lot of uh, um, landlords who don't feel that they that they have the permission to to put rents up. You know they have a nice tenant in there and they just feel awkward about going and saying actually yeah. Do you know what my costs have gone up, I want to charge you more. Um, and you know, and having a, a bit more of a structure in there, and that you have a right to do, you know. Well, so actually, it says in his tenancy agreement, you've known in advance. We, we, this is how we we, we put up your, um, uh, you know, your, your your rent. And and the reality of that is that that's the that's the counter to uh, people are saying, well, actually, rent controls, are, you know, are going to control the level of rents because you just say to them, look, if a landlord has permission to do this. Why wouldn't they do it? Why wouldn't you exercise that right? And you know, we found that in, you know, particularly in uh, in, in in leasehold uh, sections when they've got um, um, uh, ground rent um, uh, provisions, and the government's taken action on that. That they that, that these these are triggered, and they yeah. trigger them automatically. And in the shared ownership one, I've, I've noticed that the the, uh, the 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 provisions for. Uh, putting the rent part up of a shared ownership thing there are now, you know, being exercised. And these are, you know, the rents are going up on that element 
quite 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 extensively because there's a provision in the law in the tenancy agreement to do it and and somebody who hasn't left their name but nonetheless good morning um ask a question around break clauses i think we've covered that in the sense that the the legislation suggests a rent rise uh, over a 12-month period um so uh, uh, each 12 months you you uh, i think sure you're allowed to do this process once right um you can't within multiple times yeah, so as long yeah as you're following that I, I don't think a break clause is is is, is a determining factor um but the second part of this question is interesting uh, and it, it asks if a tenant refuses then ultimately the landlord can decide whether to serve notice. Now, where does the landlord stand if a rent... So I'm guessing the tenant would refuse. That would then mean that they um, they formally um, uh, apply for a review on that, saying it's an unfair, an unreasonable increase. Now, right, if that's... the tenant continues to pay the rent, where does the landlord go with that from a ground perspective, especially in the absence of Section 21? Well, absolutely. And that, that's the thing. That's where the joined-up thinking comes in. And needs to come in because, of course, if you, uh, you know, your 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 tenant is disagreeing or not cooperating um, with your wishes, uh, at the moment you can serve them a section twenty one. Okay, no fault. Okay, and you move on from that. It's uh, you know you no longer believe that that uh, that relationship is tenable, so you move you move on. Uh, that that will have been gone to a certain extent because section twenty one will have gone. So you know if you have a tenant that's challenging or doesn't want to uh, uh you know to, to pay the extra rent uh then you will have to go through whatever the new process of uh of eviction is and give an excuse for uh, a reason for why you, that tenant you want to end that tenancy so it, it, not only it won't happen uh and that's why conversation and having a reasonable uh negotiation period and Laying the expectations out to the uh, to to the tenants is important, and you know, and ironically, you know, we talk about now the uh, the, the the increasing costs on on landlords and uh, rental properties, and yet, you know, there there is a lot of evidence out there that uh, that, uh, that the landlords are, in some cases, freezing or or, or, or um, uh, uh, lowering rents because they. They know their tenants can't tolerate the the the, well, the, the big affordability the big, piece, right? Especially yeah. at the moment. Um, so, but you know, and 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 government and legislation should not interfere in that kind of no. reasonable discussions. But no. getting in, uh, you know, in heart, you know, having an environment which encourages that, that helps that, is going to be important. And that's why I think things like the alternative dispute resolution or mediation can in these cases help you know to try and square those circles if you have a situation where you know a tenant you know isn't wanting to do that maybe maybe uh, you know a mediation organization can help to come to some kind of arrangement on that to how the relationship can be saved you know agreed agreed and um, i think i think the devil is very much in the detail when you factor in the introduction uh, uh when you factor in sorry the abolishment of the section 21 um because you can see a wrangle going on and i think that's exactly where uh mediation for example comes in if there's a contentious dispute between landlord and tenants because at the end of the day the tenant's still in the property and you are going to have to find a reason um i mean that that's the reality of the new world if if the reform gets passed in the manner that um, is suggested um uh, one final question, uh, and then we we will call it there. We've overrun, but thank you so much Sorry, to everyone yeah. who's uh, no, no. It, uh, it, we're guided by the questions as always, and there's been plenty of them. Um, uh, um, Diane asks, and I just want to clarify this point: um, uh, Are we only allowed to increase the rent every twelve months? 
Uh, well, effectively, yeah, just once a year, yeah. Under the under the guidelines, yeah. Um, okay, I think that um, uh, I appreciate that we're going to be back on the the last question around the uh, point of uh, how you would remove somebody, or what the point is around them not paying the rent. But the reality is um, that in the absence of understanding what's replacing Section 21 in those events, it's extremely hard for sure and I to say and give you certainty of what's going to happen there. Clearly, there's a hole, and I think John's point of where this is where the joint thinking has to come from, from a government perspective, is 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 the right point. Because um, we can't, you can't put one piece of legislation in that then creates a void in another part when there's something so serious as, as that stage. Because, of course, any rent increase is contentious. If the two parties do not agree, there has to be a mechanism that allows relief for both. Mm-hmm. It's not just on landlords, it's for tenants too there. Um, we, we should be focusing relief on both at that stage. Um, uh, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you to to, to all of the uh, people that have attended this morning. I appreciate the market is busy. There is a lot going on uh, in life, let alone professional life. So thank you so much for giving us over an hour of your time this morning. Um, Sean, as always, uh, thank you for bringing your expertise um, and viewpoints on what is you know, a serious part of reform for us. Um, this is the last scheduled um, instalment in the reform bill. We may well have a surprise uh, a surprise um, chapter to this story um, coming shortly. We'll keep you notified if we can if we can get that nailed down. Um, but for now, for now, thank you very much for your time, everybody, uh, and have a fantastic week. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Bye bye.